0: Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 314. The Travelcast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. This week, we continue with part two of Desmond Wurzel's The Blue Celeb, narrated by Patrick Brazil. Seeing as how this is a continuation of last week's story, let's get right into it, shall we? Last week, Vietnam War buddies slash Harlem barbershop owners Bill and Joe noticed a strange blue Chevrolet celebrity parked seemingly indefinitely out front of their shop. The Chevy celebrity was discontinued in the late 80s, and if you've never seen one, they were maybe the most no-frills, unimposing, regular-ass looking cars you'll ever come across. Except, there's one strange thing about this car, aside from the fact that the plates and registration seem to be up to date, while the vehicle identification number is non-existent eerie and unfortunate things seem to happen to anyone foolish enough to mess with the car. Bill and Joe are at their wit's end, hoping to have the car towed and taking turns keeping watch out until then to make sure no one else unwittingly seals their fate by interacting with the car. Without further ado, we bring you the conclusion to The Blue Celeb by Desmond Wurzel.
2: It was dinner time when Frank showed up, and for a split second, I wasn't going to let him in. We'd never seen Frank Boone in anything except a suit or back in the day his uniform. The guy pounding on the glass was wearing faded jeans, a radish sweatshirt, and a Mets cap. When it comes to cops, you don't think much about how they live and what they do when they ain't in uniform. Probably because most of them behave like there ain't nothing else to them but their uniforms. But it was Frank. And even if it hadn't been, I'm not sure my empty stomach would have turned away a guy with a case of Bud Light in one hand and a bunch of plastic takeout bags in the other, no matter who it was. What you got in the bag, my man? Burgers, wings, chili, barbecue, those fries from Chalky's, you name it, I'm here for the duration. I kept out three Buds and stole the rest in Joe's cube fridge while Joe and Frank laid out the spread. The three of us sat in front of the shop, drinking, eating, laughing, telling jokes. It was like Jaws, without the big fish. We were each about three beers in when Frank opened up a styrofoam container and started chowing down on forkfuls of some unholy green mess. He was half done with it when his manners caught up with him and he offered it around. Hell no. I don't want none of that nastiness, said Joe. What the hell is that? Cream spinach. Are you sure you wouldn't like some? Me? I could eat pounds of this stuff. Go to it, baby. That's all you. This is real soul food, Joe. You should try it. Your people practically invented this stuff. My people? The Negroes? No, your people, the barbers. And then Frank was up and out the door, badge in one hand, flashlight in the other. Where'd he been hiding them? Son, you better leave that car alone. Get on home to your mother. Don't you know there's school tomorrow? The teenage shadow took off running. The dark swallowed him up right away. There ain't been but one or two working street lights on this block for years. Frank came back in. I didn't even see that kid, said Joe. You, Bill? I hadn't seen him either. It's a damn good thing you were here, Frank. We gotta shape up, but quick. I had to ask. Frank, he didn't get in that car, did he? No, I stopped him before he opened the door. Good going. You said no one was to open the door, so no one will be opening it. Thanks, Frank. Now that I've demonstrated my commitment to this project, may I know exactly what it is I've just accomplished. If I'm right, you just saved that boy's life. I told Frank about the two would-be burglars and the skinny white junkie, and how they all sat in a celebrity and then died shortly after, just like Big Time had done. He didn't say anything while I was telling the story, He just sat there polishing off that cream spinach of his. When I finished, he looked over at Joe. Do you think Bill is crazy? I'm here, ain't I? Said Joe. Good enough. Pass me the barbecue. So we crushed the blue celeb. Then what? I asked, handing him the bag along with a fresh Bud Light. We really don't know if that's enough. What do we do with the thing? Leave it in the junkyard? I don't like that idea. We'll go in on a storage unit or lock it away for good or sink it into Long Island South and let the muscles have at it. We'll figure something out. He popped open the beer. It seems to me that this entire situation raises a number of questions. Tell me about it, I said. How does it work? Where did it come from? Are there others? And the question that bothers me the most, how many people has it killed that we don't know about? I wouldn't dwell on that last one, said Frank. You'll drive yourself crazy. And that's a short enough drive as it is, Joe put in. I mean it. I don't want to come in here and find you leafing through last month's obituary pages. You won't, I promised. I'm sticking to the sports section from here on out. I've got enough tragedy for anyone. Being a Mets fan, Frank, you know all about that. By nine o'clock that night, we'd eaten and drunk our fill and then some. I suggested it might be best to start watching a celeb and shifts. Frank and Joe were splayed across the chairs in the waiting area snoring before I'd even finished my sentence. Apparently, I'd volunteered to take the first watch just by bringing up the subject. I thought I'd learned my lesson about showing initiative back when I was in the service. Obviously not. Two hours went by. I spent most of it standing at parade rest in front of the window, partly to keep the car in sight, but mainly to keep the two barber chairs out of sight. This was going to be my second night in a row with barely any sleep, and I knew if I sat down and put my feet up, I'd be out in a half a minute. I'd given in to my share of temptations in this life. None of them would have felt as good as kicking back in one of those chairs. But my will was strong, and soon enough, it was 11 o'clock. Call midnight the witching hour if you want. My vote is for 11 o'clock, at least around here. Things change at 11 o'clock. Decent folks are going home to bed, or, if they work the graveyard shift, tucking themselves out of sight in their warehouses, plants, and sweatshops, and others— are just waking up and emerging from the shadowed places where they passed the daylight hours. The steady rhythm of the workday starts to fade, replaced by the aimless waltz of the hookers and crackheads. For a short while, the line that separates the ordinary from the uncanny fades away, and it feels like anything can happen. Midnight? By that time, everything's set in stone. At 11 o'clock, the possibilities are still endless. If that blue celeb ever sprang to life and tried to mow us down, it'd be at 11 o'clock. But the moment went and came, and of course the cards stayed put. My feet were hurting like hell, and it was time to wake up those two gold bricks and let them fight over who had next shift. I was just getting ready to do that, when blocks away, a pair of no-account fools I never met and never would meet let their jackassery get out of hand and ended up changing the whole way I looked at things for the second time in a week. Whenever they interview a bystander after a shooting, the guy always says he thought it was a car backfiring, not me. Even if I'd never been the knob, just living in this neighborhood would have made me an expert in small arms fire. Hell, I don't even think I've ever heard a car backfire. Is that even a real thing or just something people made up for TV and movies? Point is, this was gunfire I was hearing, two different guns, a genuine shootout. My first instinct was to lock the door, but Frank was up and gone before I could move so much as an eyelash. By the time I got outside, he was already getting into his mercury. I'll be back as soon as I can, he called over his shoulder. Don't you take your eyes off that car. He threw the mercury in reverse, hit the gas, and made a perfect moonshiner's turn that would have brought a tear to James Garner's eye. He took off in the direction of the shots and was out of sight in seconds. Joe came out of the shop, yawning and stretching, a fresh bud in his hand. What was that all about you didn't hear those gunshots it takes more than that to wake me up you must have forgot where you live gunshots are like heartbeats i only notice them when they stop speaking of which i don't hear them now the streets were quiet except for sirens off in the distance i never saw the cops respond to the shooting so fast i suppose it was because frank the assistant chief called it in personally Nothing against Frank, but I can't help thinking that shouldn't have made a difference. Good, said Joe. Maybe they nailed each other, whoever they are. Two thugs for the price of one. Nice and neat. Yeah, maybe. In my experience, bullets don't concern themselves with neatness. They just go wherever you point them. They don't exercise judgment, and I ain't sure we want them to. We waited, me pacing back and forth in front of the shop. Joe perched on the trunk of the celeb, his feet resting on the back bumper. Beats me how he could bear to sit there, just thinking about it gave me the willies. Something like an hour went by, nothing. Joe started getting antsy, wanting to go inside, but I didn't trust us not to gnaw it off. He held out ten minutes more, then he climbed down off the car, clutching the small of his back. I gotta go for a walk, he said, twisting at the waist violently enough to make me cringe. I won't be able to stand up tomorrow. He started off down the sidewalk in the same direction Frank had taken off in. Hey, you might want to go the other way. That's where those shots came from. Then that's where the cops are, which is exactly where I want to be this time of night. Joe disappeared around the corner, and it was just me and the celeb. There was a hellacious quiet over everything. The creatures of the night had temporarily retreated to their lairs. The sirens had scattered them like the kitchen light scatters roaches. Probably the streets were empty for blocks around. It was almost more than I could take. The only souvenir I bought back from Vietnam, apart from a handful of medals and my new best friend Joe, was a mild case of tinnitus, the fancy term for ringing in the ears. Mine don't really ring. It's a continuous high-pitched tone, like having a smoke alarm going off in my head all the time. Mostly I don't notice it, except when someone brings the subject up in conversation, then it's all I can think about. The stillness smothering that street was perfect. For the first time in my life, there was nothing to compete with my tinnitus. It was terrible and oppressive, like an air raid siren coming from everywhere at once, and it nearly drove me to my knees. I didn't know which possibility was scarier, that I was suddenly going crazy, or that the tinnitus really was this loud all the time and I just never noticed. All I knew was, there was nothing I wanted more than for somebody to come around the corner and break the unnatural silence. I'd have preferred Joe or Frank, but I'd even have settled for a bum ranting about the government or a screaming match between two hookers over a territorial dispute. After about an eternity and a half, I got my wish. Off in the distance, a pair of headlights came into view. It was Frank Boone's Mercury, hauling ass back up the street. As it turned out, I'd have been better off with the bum or the hookers. Something seemed off from Jump Street. The way Frank bolts into action is a crisis. It'd be easy to think the guy's a bundle of nerves. Wrong. Frank is smooth and cool under pressure. That's why the NYPD keeps kicking him further and further upstairs. There's nobody better at handling a hundred problems at once. Just now, Frank's car was not being driven in a smooth and cool manner. The way the headlights were juking back and forth, it looked like he'd come down with the shakes. The mercury swerving got wilder and wilder with half a block to go. The car jumped the curb altogether and screeched to a halt behind the celeb. Two wheels on the sidewalk, two in the street. I couldn't see inside. All I could see was the headlights, slanted off-kilter thanks to Frank's parking job. The car reminded me of a spaniel cocking its head. It looked as confused as I felt. The door swung over and the driver stepped out. It wasn't Frank. It was Joe, wild-eyed and breathing hard. Joe, that's Frank's car, I said helpfully. Joe fumbled with the Mercury's back door. The way he was scowling and clenching his jaw, I thought maybe he was having a stroke. Joe, what are you doing with Frank's car? He finally got the back door open and scooped the loose bundle off the seat. Joe, did Frank say you could take his car? By the time I got the question out, he was already by me, headed for the blue celeb. He flung the door open, tossed it in the bundle, and slammed it shut again. He turned and looked at me, and when our eyes met, it was like somebody cut his strings. He sagged against the blue celeb hands on knees, catching his wind. What was that? Why'd you put that in there? He didn't say anything. I went over and held my face as close to the celeb's window as I could without touching it. It was a kid, a girl, a little girl, maybe 10 years old. I could barely make out a little brown face in the celeb's shadowy interior, but the beads at the ends of her braids encircled her head like a faint white halo. Joe's voice came from behind me real quiet. I got my wish, he said. Two jackasses got into a fight. I don't know what about. Don't matter. It's always the same stupid crack. They started shooting and took each other out. I'd have called it a happy ending, you know. But she got in the way of a straight round. She ain't getting away or nothing. She was across the street and up the block, sitting on the front stoop drinking a Coke. Why is she here, Joe? A Coke. A little treat. Just to stretch out the last few minutes of summer a bit longer. What do you think you're trying to do, Joe? You didn't know this state had a death penalty for staying up past your bedtime, did you? Me neither. Joe, we've seen a lot, you and me. We crack jokes about death. We got a lot of opinions about who deserves it and who doesn't. Well, this ain't an opinion. She didn't deserve it. Factually. Objectively. Joe, there must have been a dozen cops down there. Plus... Frank himself is going to know where you went. You want to go to prison at your age? Don't matter if this works. It ain't going to, Joe. What makes you think that car works both ways? Why shouldn't it work both ways? Tell me why one way makes any less sense than the other. It doesn't, but you're trying to cram reason in where it doesn't fit. The sirens started up again. This time they were growing louder. Get out of sight, Joe. He hustled into the shop and locked himself in the bathroom. The first cruiser that pulled up had Frank Boone riding shotgun. Less than a minute later, the sidewalk was swarming with cops. I wondered how Frank would want to play this. Did his sense of duty outrank our friendship? I figured it was about 50-50. He put her in there, I said, pointing at the celeb. Damnedest thing I ever seen. Pulled up in that Mercury, pulled her in the other car, and just ran off like a crazy person. I took my lead from old Daffy Duck cartoons and pointed at random. He went that away. way Sure enough, about a third of the fuzz broke away from the main park and took off in the direction I said. Life imitates art. Meanwhile, Frank hurried over to the celeb and retrieved the body. He handed her off to a pair of uniforms, and they hustled her into a black and white and sped away to whatever godforsaken place it is that you take dead little girls to in this city. After that, Frank guarded the celeb, real casual, just to make sure nobody got in while I gave my statement about a crazy pervert who driven up, discarded a corpse, and scrammed. I made up all the details on the spot, even gave Joe a limp and six extra inches in height. It was a marvelous piece of fiction. I got a future in literature, if the school ever starts teaching people to read again. And Frank never batted an eyelash. Just let me carry on. Frank's a natural leader of men. With the respect he commanded among the other cops, along with some flattery and glad-handed, he convinced them to let the matter drop. And getting that little girl's body back had been the important thing, true. And that, lacking witnesses, they probably wouldn't find the guy, also true, but only because the real thief was hiding 20 feet away. The fuzz cleared out and it was just me and Frank and the blue celeb. He already knew what Joe had done. I told him why. Getting Joe out of the bathroom was tough going. It took us 15 minutes to convince him that I hadn't ratted him out, and there wasn't a SWAT team waiting in the shop. First thing he did when he came out was grab a beer from the cube fridge and crack it. Whole time I was in there, I was wishing I had one of these. You got a problem, friend, I said. Well, I thought they was going to slap the bracelets on me. I was regretting not being able to savor my last beer as a free man. Yeah. I gotta admit, I'm developing an appreciation for the simple things in life myself. Me and Frank helped ourselves from the fridge and joined Joe in the silent toast to the innocent dead. I take it that it didn't work. I'm grateful there's no lynch mob out front, but I was hoping for a hero's welcome. Did you really think it would work, Joe? Said Frank. I don't know what I was thinking. I turned the corner and saw the child lying there. Antonia. Antonia Powell. Antonia. God, that's pretty. Well, I just went crazy for a second. It seemed only right that the car to work both ways. For some reason, all these years, I suddenly expected life to be fair. Shows what I know. Did you give any thought to what you were putting the girl's mother through? I'd be astonished if we don't wind up on the receiving end of a lawsuit. Not if it had worked. Joe. I know you'll smooth it over, Frank. Just turn on that charm of yours. Hell, you've already talked yourself out of being mad at me for stealing your car, right? I'm still deciding. If this thing doesn't go away, just tell me and I'll turn myself in. It's fine, Joe. I ain't kidding. Who do I care? I could use some time away from the world. And from my old lady, too. He took a swig. Either way, thanks, Frank. You're a good egg. Frank clapped a hand on each of our shoulders and herded us toward the front of the shop. I think that was the most affection I've ever seen him show. The only time men of our generation will hug another dude is if he's dying in our arms. I'll take a friendly tap instead any day. We still have some unfinished business, gentlemen. Shouldn't be a problem, I said. I don't think I'll be able to sleep for the rest of the night. Man, I wish it would have worked, said Joe. What's the point of being one of the good guys if you can't get a win once in a while? Nobody had an answer for him. We retired to the sidewalk to finish our vigil. The street was quiet and empty. Even though we didn't talk, it wasn't like the overbearing quiet I'd felt before. That was gone. Just having other human beings nearby, living and breathing, was enough to drive it off. After about an hour, an SUV pulled up. Old sucker, too. A Plymouth Trail Duster. They didn't even call them SUVs back then. I swear, it had 300,000 miles on it if it had a yard, and the engine idled rougher than an army bedsheet. The passenger door opened up and a lady got out. Nice looking lady, but for the tears running down her face and her hair sticking out every which way. She made straight for Frank. She was blubbering so much, though, I couldn't make out what she was saying. Oh, hell, said Joe. He whispered it. But it must have came out louder than he meant it to, because the lady laid off Frank and whirled around on us instead. You! She came at us, pointing at Joe with one hand and vitally wiping her tears away with the other. You're the man who ran off with my baby! I wasn't sure who to watch. The woman? She didn't look to pose a real threat to Joe, but there's no knowing what a distraught mama is capable of. Frank Boone? He was a dear friend, but if he tried to arrest Joe just to please this gal, knowing what he knew. I might not be able to stop myself from getting in his way. The driver of the trail duster hadn't noticed him until now, but the SUV's dome light revealed a brother in his thirties wearing a blue work shirt and a haunted expression. I figured if he was going to make a move, he'd already done it, but you can never tell. Bottom line, I was paralyzed, couldn't have made a decision to save my life. Good thing I didn't end up having to. The woman got real quiet. You did something to my baby. What did you do? Joe put his hands up, palms out. He stood his ground, though. I think he decided that if this lady needed to take out some of her grief on him, it was the least he could do. Ma'am, you got it all wrong. It ain't like that. I can explain. There are probably other candidates, but I can nominate. I can explain as the worst three words a person can find himself saying. Nothing good ever follows. The lady reached out and took hold of Joe by his shirt front. His expression would have broke your heart. Sadness for this young mother and resignation to the slap across his face he was sure she was about to deliver. Instead, she pulled him toward her and threw her other arm around him and rested her head on his shoulder. Joe kept his hands up, raised them higher, in fact. The message was clear. Everybody sees that. She's touching me, right? No misunderstandings. The girl tilted her head up and looked at Joe in the eye. She's okay. Antonia, my baby. Her eyes opened and she sat right up on the gurney. Joe just stood there, slack-jawed. Me too. Frank too. She's fine. Nothing wrong at all. They can't figure it out. They're still examining her now. And it's because of something you did. No, said Joe suddenly hoarse. I'm sure she was okay all along. She must have just passed out or something. His eyes got real wide and he just kept shaking his head. No. He'd taken the risk of a lifetime trying to save that girl. And now that it had paid off, he was refusing ownership of it. Frankly, I didn't blame him one bit. She didn't pass out, said the woman. My baby was shot. The bullet went in and right back out. There were two wounds. I saw them. They ain't there anymore. There was blood. I saw it. She pointed to the cluster of dark spots on Joe's shirt. And so did you. The woman threw her arms around Joe in full-blown hug. Good thing, too. I think her embrace was the only thing holding him up right. They said this was where they found her. I had to try and look for you. To thank you. The waterworks had started up again and she just let go of Joe to wipe her face. How did you do that? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. My grandma used to tell me stories from when she was a kid, before she moved up north. But some of them, they weren't really stories. Some of them, she told different from the way she'd tell a regular fairy tale. That's because they were true. I know there are all kinds of strange things in this world, even if most people never got to witness them. And I know what I saw. So you have to accept my thanks for my baby's life. Because I need to know there's one person who doesn't think I'm crazy. You're welcome, ma'am. Thank you. Besides, you wouldn't call my grandma a liar, would you? Joe forced a smile he figured was expected of him. No, ma'am. She patted Joe on the cheek. Sure you don't want to tell me how you did it? You better off not knowing. Just go give her a hug for me and forget this ever happened. Quick introductions were made. The woman was Angela. The dude in the trail duster was Antonio, her brother, and the little girl's namesake. It was at Antonio's request that we broke up the festivities. I gotta go to work. They wouldn't have given me no time off for a dead niece. They sure ain't giving me any time for a live one. There were hugs all around, and then the two of them drove off. I kind of hope I never see them again. Though we had some talking to do for sure, It was quite a little while before me and Joe and Frank could scare up a word between us. And when we finally did speak, we didn't say anything worth repeating. It was just a rerun of all the conversations I'd already heard about the celeb, with them and with myself. One difference. There was a little trace of desperation in our voices that hadn't been there before as we tried to cobble together some point of view, some way of looking at the world, some philosophy to account for their thing. No dice. Joe hauled the little girl all the way up here because he thought it made sense for the celeb's power to work both ways. He was wrong. It doesn't make sense. It might be logical, but it ain't sensible. That car takes life. A car that takes life is evil. Evil makes sense. A car that gives life is good. Good makes sense. But this? Who or what would ever make such a thing? And to what purpose? But Bill, you might say? What about your scissors? You can cut with them or you can run somebody through with them. Isn't that the same thing? Whatever, man. Thing is, I know where my scissors came from and they don't bump people off on their own when I'm not around. At least, not that I'm aware of. After the week I've had, who the hell knows? Whenever I hear someone say they don't have dreams, I humor them, but I don't really believe them. Of course they dream, they just don't remember. Probably they have some worse dreams than the rest of us and their memory does them a kindness by keeping it under wraps. Can you imagine that? People spending a third of their lives in sheer holy terror and the rest of the time they ain't got a clue. I can because this city is exactly the same way. It's dawn now, all over Manhattan. Alarm clocks are going off, coffee's brewing, open signs are flickering on. Soon the streets will be crowded with ordinary people who sleep soundly each night, who think they know everything about their city, who wouldn't believe what goes on after dark, even if you told them. Day people. I used to be one, up until last week. Joe, too. Not anymore. We know too much. We're part of the cover-up now, keeping the lid on the night so the day people can go on fooling themselves. I can see the tow truck coming up the street. Oh, we talked about calling off the plan. How could we not? We decided to go ahead with it. Even so, I'm fighting the urge to slip the guy a couple twenties for his trouble and send him on his way. I bet Joe and Frank are too. It's tempting. We stole the celeb someplace safe. Then if one of us ever falls and breaks his neck or chokes on a fishbone or just keels over from old age, the other two swipe the body, carry it over there, toss it in and good as new. But then what? Once word got out and it would we'd have three choices. Bring everybody back, impractical for about a million reasons. Bring nobody back, we're hip enough to human nature to know how long that vow would last. Or decide, case by case, who deserves to live again and who deserves to stay dead. Divvying up humanity into those two groups is easier than it sounds. We've all done it. Everyone has a list of people the world would well be rid of. i put big time on my list without a second thought. Back when I thought the 101 bus was the only thing responsible for his death. But having the power to make it happen and exercising that power, we couldn't bear such a burden and stay sane. And yet we do it. It'd be like a drug. We know it was bad for us and we do it anyhow without even understanding why. Trust me, I know, because we already have. Remember those two knuckleheads who offed each other and shot little Antonia in the process? They died the same time she did. We could run over to the morgue. Frank could bluster his way in and we could swipe them off their slabs and put them in the celeb. Who knows? They might be grateful for a second opportunity. Or so terrified from their time in the devil's embrace that they live honestly and righteously for the rest of their days. I think you can turn over a new leaf. If people can't improve themselves, then what's the point of anyone striving for anything? But we didn't do that. They're dead and they're going to stay dead. Chances are, nothing would have changed that anyway, and this city is slightly better off now that they're gone. That was our decision. It was an unspoken one, but we made it, and it was unanimous. Heaven help us. The tow truck guys got the blue celeb all hooked up. We'll follow them to the city yard and watch them crush it with our own eyes. Then we'll figure out what to do with the remains. I don't know how long that'll take, Joe and I might not be back in time to open up the shop on schedule. When Miss Loretta comes by to give her regular sermon, she might find the place all locked up. That's probably for the best. Somehow, I just ain't in the mood this morning. Pissing on the stage, you know, they just don't care. I can't take the smell, can't take the noise, got no money to move out. I guess I got no choice. Rats in the front room, roaches in the back, junkies in the alley with the baseball bat. I try to get away, but I couldn't get far because a man with the touch of possessed my car. Don't push me because I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head.
1: <laughs> and that was our story. You can cut hair with your scissors, or you can run somebody through with them. Don't forget that next time you're at the salon. Because it's probably all your stylist ever thinks about. Having the power to make it happen. Our narrator said it himself, we couldn't bear such a burden and stay sane powerful food for thought there? We decide who lives and who dies all the time. From criminal acts on the street, sectarian violence, racial genocide, suicide bombings, to drone missiles, napalm, F-15 strikes, and capital punishment. But the power to decide who stays dead and who comes back makes the moral conundrum even more complex, does it not? Hope you enjoyed this story. Last week to nominate your favorite stories for the 2013 Drabblecast People's Choice Awards, head over to our forums at forums.drabblecast.org and find the 2013 People's Choice Awards section right there at the top. Tell us what your top five favorite feature stories, Drabbles, and episode cover arts were from the past year. Represent the authors and artists who brought you cool stuff to enjoy. And speaking of bringing you cool stuff to enjoy, Ever wonder how, exactly, the Drabblecast brings you content each week? I mean, the ins and outs. Everything from selecting and prepping stories, casting, equipment, voiceover, sound editing, the whole production shebang. Maybe you're interested in working on a new media project yourself, or thinking about producing a story or audiobook. Well, you're in luck, my friends, because this week on Travelcast B-Sides, we have part 1 of the Travelcast Audio Production Workshop up, jam-packed with info, special guests, and behind-the-scenes what-have-yous. A lot of work went to the workshop and part 2 will be coming out shortly with even more Travelcast creation goodness and audio production know-how. You won't want to miss it. Travelcast B-Sides is of course our premium content feed, available for fans of the Travelcast who subscribe at an automatic subscription level of $10 a month, or make a one-time donation of $120 or more. We rely exclusively on the support of you listeners out there to keep this show going each week, and it ain't cheap, friends. For example, the total cost of bringing you just the story, The Blue Celeb, was well over $500, not to mention all the time that myself and our staff volunteered in actually putting the whole thing together. We pay our authors a good rate at three cents a word for their stories, and we're one of the only markets I know that pays its narrators at all, much less professional rates. And we do it all for the love, hoping just to break even, because good stories are magical and make the world a better place. Travelcast B-Sides is a podcast of bonus content that we produce. It doesn't feature throwaway stories not good enough for our main feed. In fact, some of our best stories go there, as well as interviews with professional authors, fun videos, and original music. And Drabblecast B-Sides isn't a pay-for-play model either. You aren't buying access to it, even though that's kind of what it appears like. We wanted a way to thank generous listeners who've committed to supporting the work we do by giving them something special. So if you like the Drabblecast and you aren't helping us out by donating yet, here's an extra incentive to do so. Anyone with a credit card, debit card, or PayPal account can help out. Go to Drabblecast.org and click Donate to the Drabblecast on the right. We greatly appreciate it. All right, let's hit our last 100-character story winner for the month of February. First-time winner A.W. Gifford with this one. Want a good reason not to fly? How about the new TSA rules? They're insane, but at least the inspection gloves are ribbed. Now that's looking at the glass as half-full. We publish the winners of our weekly 100-character story contest early on Twitter each week. Follow us there, at the Drabblecast. Also, you can join our Facebook page. Always cool stuff going on over there. And you can do us a major solid by writing us a review on iTunes, blogging about us, or just telling your friends. At the top of our website, there's a link that says, New to The DrabbleCast, which explains what we are, what podcasts are, and even has a Top 10 DrabbleCast episode primer, sure to get them hooked. Spread the weird. Well, folks, that's all for this week. Remember, the Travelcast is brought to you with a Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Our program this week was brought to you by managing editor Nathan Lee, our art director, Bo Kyr, with additional help from Nikki Drayden, Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, Weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you it might be logical, but it ain't sensible. Evening saunters to closing, the waitress turns, chairs upside down, piano player picks up his tip jaw and drink, and the bartender shouts, last round, An hour ago this place was loaded.
0: Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice